Bienvenidos to Merendeando. Today our guest is Yolanda Bonell. Yolanda Bonell is a queer, two-spirit, Ojibwe, South Asian, performer, playwright, and poet from Fort William First Nation in Thunder Bay, Ontario. She's now based in Toronto, or Duggaronto. Yolanda has performed at Stratford, the National Arts Centre, and theatres across the country. She premiered her solo show, Bug, at the Luminato Festival in 2018, and she's currently developing White Girls in Moccasins in residency at Buddies and Bad Times Theatre. In this episode, we talked about decolonizing theatre, what it takes to create during these pandemic times, our relationship with the earth, and cake. Yes, cake. Speaking about cake, my birthday is coming up soon, so I'm gonna attempt to make a tres leches cake. I believe in you. I don't believe in myself, but it will be what it will be, and I will eat it, but I'll let everybody know next episode. And what about you, Camila? Why are you snacking on? I am snacking on some tepache right now. I actually made it myself. I'm feeling very accomplished about it. Um, it's my first tepache of the season. Uh, if you don't know what tepache is, it's basically like fermented pineapple juice. You cut off the skins or the fruit of the pineapple. You leave it on the counter for a couple days and then you drink it up. It's like fizzy and sweet. Uh, it's super simple to make. And if you add it to a little bit of beer, it's just like the most delicious summer cocktail. So that's what I am sipping on right now. So if you want to have a drink or a cake, we'll put uh, some recipes in the notes. Why don't you grab yourself a merienda or a tasty snack and settle in and get ready for this episode? How is it going, Yolanda? Oh, it's okay. It's not. It's actually not too too bad. I think. Um, I think by this point, you know, we're like, uh, what two months in? I don't even know. Yeah. What is time? What is a calendar? Who <laughs> knows? Uh, uh, yeah. I there there's uh, there's this sense of like, you know, what's happening is that every time I go to bed, I'm like, oh, here we are. We're in bed again. <laughs> And it's weird because like going to bed is something that we've done. Like it's like, I've done this before. I've done this, was doing this every night, but there's something about this. Like, I think it's the sense of like waking up and then we start the day over again, that like groundhog day kind of like feeling, um, which is something I was talking about with my therapist this morning, uh, that that is sort of like that feeling that's like happening right now because we we're already so long into it. And so now it's starting to feel sort of groundhog day ish. So, you know, I'm just trying to like switch up my schedule every day so that I don't feel like this um, repetition feeling is happening. But um, yeah, just trying to stay ahead of the emotions right now. If I make a schedule and that schedule like changes every day, that's okay. But as long as I've got something that like helps me sort of like feel like um, it's not even like feeling like I'm doing something. It's just, it's just feeling like there's some sort of purpose to the day and it's okay again like if there's not like Sunday I did like absolutely nothing because I was like sometimes you need yeah. to do nothing and mm -hmm. that's okay. it's the day of gay Jesus it is the hmm. Lord's day <laughs> so then can I ask like as an artist how have you been dealing like as a human totally but how do you feel creatively right now it's so interesting because what that just made me think about before all this happened my 
whole thing was that I'm like, I'm really bad at being a human, but I'm really good at being an artist. And now I'm like trying to human and I'm like, okay, so this is how we human. And I'm like, how do artists in this pandemic? Like, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I'm feeling a lot of like creative, um, thoughts and like feelings, but having trouble sometimes putting them into motion. So like, I think about like something I'm like, oh, I really want to write about this. And then I just don't do it. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a little bit tricky. I, it's funny because I have, um, two workshops, like virtual workshops coming up in the next like two, three weeks for two of my plays. And so I actually have to sit down and do rewrites this week. So, um, I'm really, I'm excited about it. Like I, uh, you know, I'm excited to dive back into it, but I'm a little nervous about, um, how I'm going to make, um, this feel like a space that I can create in because often I would not write in here because it's hard, it's easy to get distracted. Um, or I would be in the mountains, which is where I'm supposed to be right now. I'm supposed to be in Banff in the mountains writing my play, but and how are you dealing with that, with having like that plan or like the plans that you have for the year and then seeing that things are moving? Like, Yeah, I think it's like, I've always sort of had to go with this idea of like accepting things that I can't change. Um, a long time ago, uh, a friend of mine uh, told me this saying or this like thing that she would tell herself that she heard from someone who was a practicing Buddhist. Um, uh, so it is. So it's just about accepting the things that you can't change. Like things are going to happen and it's, you're going to feel the way you're going to feel about it. And then you have to accept it and like move on. And it's sort of explored too in the book Tuesdays with Maury. Um, uh, he talks about um, uh, de detaching from it. So like that you feel the emotion and you feel it with all of your body and you go through it and you're like, okay, and then you just detach from it. I mean, it sounds a lot easier than it is. And we all know that, but the, but planting the idea in my head and like sort of moving forward with this, like, so it is, which has literally saved my life in a lot of ways. Um, because I started practicing it in little ways. Like I would, my mental health would, um, have me in fits when things wouldn't happen that I couldn't control. Like if I missed the bus or like whatever, like things that I just like, you have to like, just be okay with it, but I would like take it out of myself. And so this sort of helped me through those sorts of things. So when something like this happens where there's literally nothing I can do, it's, it's just, I have to like feel the feel and then like, all right, well, how are we going to, how are we going to move forward with this? Like, what are we going to do to like make this the best possible situation for whatever? Like, where can we find positives in this? Um, and I think that there are lots of not positive things to the situation, but ways of, of finding positive um, coping mechanisms or positive outcomes. It seems like, like what you were just talking about, that, that anchor of that phrase um, is really helpful. And it just seems like you have a spiritual approach to your work, yeah. potentially to your life. So I was just wondering if you want to talk a little bit about your creation process. Yeah, I have discovered in the last two years that land-based creation is something I'm really curious and interested in. And 
the last play that I wrote, um, I wrote it in Newfoundland this time last year and really tried to find inspiration in all parts of the land. And so I find that my, like for me, my creative process is rooted in, um, in the earth and like in the land. So like, uh, like I took this rock and, um, and I looked at it and I was like studying it. And so I started writing about this rock, but the rock was like a metaphor for, um, like indigenous women or, you know, it was something like that. And so like that, that, or like when you have, like, you feel like you have this hard exterior, but you're really like glittery on the inside, or you really like have this like power or passion on the inside because in the rock, when in the cracks, there was like the, the, the sediment, like the, the shimmer. Uh, and so like things like that, like being inspired by natural things to use them in telling stories. That's one of the things I'm the most interested in right now. And, you know, pulling from my own experiences and like finding ways that I can um, expand upon them or use them uh, to tell a story that's not my story, but like a story that's like similar to mine um, that other people can find relation to. Mm. It totally makes sense that it would be a shift to have a land-based creation process, but then be like in one place. Yeah, I did a um, in-conversation series with buddies uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the things I was talking about was that the thing that we often forget when being in a city is is feeling the land because it's easy to like be like in this concrete jungle, right? Like, you know, there's a tree here, there's a park there, there's, you know, whatever. Especially now, people are like going to their lakes and they're going to their parks. And I'm like, girl, you could have been doing this like last year, like and having the same appreciation for the land that's always been there for you, but go off. So one of the things that I'm, I was saying was that, you know, we often forget that underneath all this concrete is earth, that the, that the earth is still holding us up. The land is still holding us up. I live in a basement apartment, which for lots of people can be like, oh, you live in a, like, you know, it's not fun, but, uh, but I'm closer to the earth here in the basement. So like I, I sit like when I meditate, like I'll sit on my floor and I root myself through the concrete, through the tile, through the concrete, through the wood, into the earth. And I think that that's something we can all do no matter where we are. Like no matter if you're in a high rise, you need to use that. It's like it's theater school, right? Like you use that, that imagination. You think you have to use your your brain to like project your body, like to send your energy down through your floor, through the ceiling of somebody else's place, through their space, through their floor, through the next ceiling, how, no matter how far you are up, you keep going down and 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 you root into the earth. And you can feel that shift in your body and your spine, like you can feel it. And I think, and a lot of that again, like that is, um, it's, it's theater practice, it's arts practice to to have your body connected to earth and and i think it's like deeply indigenous and it's something that uh we can all sort of um remember that you know underneath this city is our mother <laughs> totally yeah. i feel like i just went on a guided meditation for like a minute <laughs> We're just going to take a pause from this interview. We're all going to lay on the floor. Yeah. It's like 10 out of 10 recommend. Amazing. 
Yeah. Well, exactly. I feel like people are really appreciating what's around them right now. Yeah. It's huge. I was talking to a friend about this. It's like, we're all living in this state of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Like it's, if you see most of the pictures on Instagram or Facebook, it's just like throwbacks. Everything now is a throwback. Mm-hmm. It's like this weird, like we're all being like, remember when we were outside? And it was like, yeah, it was two months ago. But it, it feels like, like, remember when you touched your friend? I was like, oh, those were the days. Like, <laughs> like what? Yeah. I've been watching a lot of movies um, with my friends and with my friends, but my roommates, with all my friends, <laughs> my roommate. With my all friends. of my one roommate. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very strange, it's just a very strange time. None of us have ever experienced anything like this, I don't think. And like, it's, it's this, this sort of like, um, like strange feeling of like, on one hand, you're like, we're all like, we're all in this together. So we're all going through it. And which like, makes you feel less alone in some ways. But on the other hand, you're like, but this is also really terrible. And, uh, and you're right, like, we all are dealing with it differently, because we all have different, like, things that we're dealing with, whether it's mental health or who we're with or like, and like, I keep hearing these stories about people who live with roommates who are not, who are like inviting people over and like hanging out with like groups of friends in their apartments. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. What? It's this constant like thought about like, who are you putting at risk? And like, what is the like cost risk benefit in terms of going to bring somebody something like and whenever anyone's like, I'll bring you this. I'm like, I don't want you to leave your house to like risk getting sick or like risk getting someone else sick. And really, like, we all just need to take a collective breath. Yeah, we need to chill. Yeah. I think we should try to have a collective breath to see if it actually, like, in the world can you imagine, like, whoosh, like, yeah. what? <laughs> well, because people who haven't had to deal with anxiety are now dealing with anxiety. Yes. That's the thing. I'm, like, thinking about people who are, like, not used to crisis or like not used to like instability yeah like all of those people who are like having to now just deal with it there's a part of me that's like welcome and then there's another part of me that's like i am sorry <laughs> and that those are true at the same time yeah like some people are calling this time the great equalizer like finally we can all just like see each other on the level and i'm like i don't know yeah. i think that's a good provocative statement but equalizing no there's still a lot of inequity here and like a lot of people are saying welcome to the party right like we we've been stressed about our survival like for our for whole lives <laughs> yeah. so welcome to that feeling yeah it's not like i want people to like <laughs> I'm, I'm talking with cake in my mouth um <laughs> it's not <laughs> like i want cake. people to like feel what i've been feeling like i never wanted to wish any of that on anybody yeah you know, but it, but it's also like, well, I guess now, you know, (laughs) like now you maybe like, if you didn't have empathy before, maybe, and this is, maybe this is what I was talking about when I, when it came to like finding those like positive outcomes, like, like spinning that narrative in a way where it's like, well, if people who didn't have any kind of understanding for somebody who was like agoraphobic or like was super high, high anxiety, you kind of now have an idea of like what that person is going through. Um, So maybe, you know, in the future, you might have a little bit more empathy instead of being like, well, just get over it or just leave your house. Like, it's not that easy. That feeling of being stuck or that feeling of like the stuck feeling, the physically stuck feeling is, is the exact same as an emotionally stuck feeling when you're agoraphobic. I didn't leave my house when I was, there was a point in my twenties where 
I had to take medical leave from work and I could not leave my house for like a month. It feels like it was two months. I used to say it was two months, but I don't, who knows if it was that, I actually don't know how long it was, but I just couldn't, like I couldn't leave my house. Social anxiety and generalized anxiety is so high sometimes in people in myself that like leaving the house was something that just wasn't possible for me. And so now people are feeling that sort of physical feeling of not being able to leave your house, which is what it feels like when you're agoraphobic. And so it's like, it's a really interesting sort of, you know, dynamic right now that people are feeling the effects of mental health in different ways. Like, I feel like so much of the work that I've seen of yours, like mostly theater stuff, is what I'm thinking of right now, is really like empathy generating. So Mm -hmm. hearing you speak right now, I'm like, yeah, like it makes me think a little bit about Bug and about White Girls and Moccasins because it's, I really feel like your work in a lot of ways lets people into an experience in like a funny or, you know, theatrical way and it builds empathy between the audience and people. Yeah, I mean, like, empathy is the only thing that's going to, like, save us. Because if people were just a little bit more empathetic, we wouldn't have these power, like, these, like, you know, these ideas that, like, I'm better than you because I have more money, or I'm better than you, like, we all have to have an understanding of where another person is coming from in order to exist together on on a level playing field. Otherwise, you're just, you're leveling in different ways. And that, like, that's not helping anybody. Remember the theater? I'm joking. I'm like, remember, <laughs> remember when, when we, we used to go to theater? Remember when we used to like go see each other perform? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know when the next time we're going to be able to is. I don't know either, but you know what? I'm really grateful for the internet. I think that the way in which artists, particularly queer artists, have like found a way to like, monopolize or like grab onto uh, other ways of communicating their art with like audiences is incredible and i think we need to remember that all of this disabled artists have been doing for years and so like all of these things the way that that disabled artists have been like finding ways of connecting with their audiences and now that we're like using the same sort of platforms like i think it's just a really great thing that we're all being able to do that but also with the recognition that like there have been people who have been doing this for a really long time because Mm -hmm. they don't have the choice. They don't have the option. Yeah. You mentioned you're doing virtual workshops. The play that I wrote last year and the play that I would have been working on in Banff, um, it's called my sister's rage. And so that one I'm workshopping next week. Um, so it'll be really interesting because there's nine actors plus myself, plus my dramaturg. And then Kolavas, my producing partner. Uh, so that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to navigate that. Uh, like how, but I'm also, how are you going to do that? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. I'm also really excited because like, I haven't heard the play in a long time. And so it'll be nice to like, just sit with, you know, people on a, you know, let's just figure this out. We're going to figure out how to do this. And I think that's what we're all doing is just figuring it out. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to have total and utter patience for it. Um And then I have a a workshop of White Girls and Moccasins, which again, like we're in residency with buddies and we were supposed to have a two week workshop and the second week was going to be in the space, which is part of the residency. Obviously that's been canceled. So we've moved that week to the fall and we're just focusing on the first week. 
Um, and it's like bringing in designer time. So that's really exciting that we're going to have our designers in on the workshop. Talking about your work, you tend to uh, work with kind of the same people for a while. Some of your collaborators are the same. Yeah, I mean, I draw from the the pool of Indigenous actors that we have. <laughs> and I'm like, I try to work with different people um, as much as I can, uh, which is what's exciting about Rage because there are people that I haven't pulled in for my work before that are coming in, which I'm excited about. Um, and then some, like some actors I do work with um, multiple times. Um, I'm really lucky that like Buddies has been really supportive of my work and have always sort of found merit in it um, and really try to support it as much as possible. So I love, I mean, you know, like I love working with Buddies and they're always really great to work with. And so I'll work with them as much as I possibly can. <laughs> and like, I mean, like I've worked with NEPA a few times as an Indigenous run organization or Indigenous organization. The support from them is is always important and the different ways that they do it is really great. I really want to ask you about your thoughts on decolonizing theater because yeah. that I think that goes along with like finding the right collaborators, the right vibe. So I know during your production of Bug, it was... A, the show itself was beautiful. I got the chance to see it. One of the beautiful things I thought that you did was at the beginning in the program, you wrote a little bit about decolonizing theater. So I would love for you to share some of your thoughts on that. My whole idea was that we need to take theater out of the hands of capitalism and put it back into the hands of the storytellers. Because at the end of the day, that's what it should be about, is the story that you're telling but it's become about money. It's become about industry. It's not upsetting the norm. And I'm like, as artists, what's the, if we're not upsetting the norm, then what are we doing? And I mean, like, there is a place, I think, for the way that that theater runs. Like, lots of people are fine with it and, like, are okay with it. I know a lot of people that aren't happy with, like, working six days a week, eight hours a day nine 12 hours a day if you're a production person like you're working like 12 to 14 hours for tech weeks it's biz it's bonkers and this whole like suffering for your art thing like why 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 is anyone suffering for anything like i did not choose this career to suffer like what why does that come with the territory why why no so i decided no like i don't want that for for the work that i'm doing and the rooms that i'm running and um and cole was on board because we've been doing this forever so like we just thought that like you know moving forward if we can at least create spaces that are safe for our artists and our production staff and like um any designers that are coming on or anybody anybody that's working with us we're going to do whatever we can to make that space decolonized and so that we taking down those structures and the truth is like i don't have the answers and i wrote about this when i when i wrote the thing was that i don't know what the right thing to do is i'm working from my heart i'm i'm going like this is the thing that i feel is right this is the only way that i can work but like, all I know is that when you tear down a structure, you're left with a mess. And so it's our job to like sift through that mess and be like, okay, what is salvageable here? What works? Like what, like, oh, right. Okay. This works. So let's like put, let's keep that as a foundation. This does not work. Like we're going to leave this out there. 
like talking to each other, communicating with each other, knowing how to be in space with one another, keeping each other safe. Like, I just don't understand like why we need to run something that's supposed to be like creative and joyful and freeing. Um, why do we have to run it in such a rigid way? If you look at Bug, there was nothing that was about that show that wasn't like, I don't think like on par with any other show that, you know, has gone up, like you're not losing anything by doing theater this way. Like you're not losing anything by decolonizing it. What you're losing are structures that are hurting people. Mm. And I'm hearing that decolonizing your space and creating safety are very linked for you. Can you talk a bit more about that? For me, like decolonial practice is rooted deeply in indigenous practice and an indigenous practice for me has always been about safety and it's always about you know um ensuring that you're moving forward in a good way or in the best way possible and that you're not you're you're sticking to that those values the the that you're um that you're working from your heart or that you're you're working from a, a deep understanding of empathy or like your own self-awareness that it's not coming from um, a place of putting someone in a position where they're going to be uncomfortable or not feel safe or, or feel threatened or, or you know what I mean? That it's more like open to feel how you're going to feel. And then we just move forward from that place. And this isn't a new way of thinking. Like this is something that lots of people have been trying to put into place for years, Monique Mojica has like written about and has done these work, done this work in her practice. Um, Muriel Miguel and Spider Woman Theater in, in New York, the same thing. These are indigenous artists, indigenous women who have been doing this work for so long. Lindsay Lachance, who is the artistic associate at the NAC Theater, Indigenous Theater, like this is her practice. This is the work that she does. And like she was paired with Kim Sinclair Harvey, who like started doing that work on the West Coast. So like we're everywhere trying like trying to get these like wheels moving so that you know when we work with artists that they're like they don't leave a project feeling traumatized because how often has that happened like last year alone every fucking project i did i was like and then i had to like start a new one i was like what am i doing totally <laughs> one of the things that we've been talking about with buddies is like I want to sit down with a bunch of production managers and find out if you could have a dream tech week, what would that look like? If you could have a tech week that ensured that you were getting sleep, able to like eat properly, going home at a decent hour, spending time with your like partners or, or friends or family, that you're not just focused on the work for a week. Like, what would that look like for you? What would you need for that? And then we're going to talk about how we can implement like a decolonized tech week and that's just like an example like we do need funding for these things because like in order to have shorter rehearsal days you might have to have longer rehearsal periods right and so we understand that like space costs money or whatever so like how can we like work within the systems that we have already and like how can we manipulate the systems that we have to like make it so that no one is burnt out or like overworked from doing the thing that they love to do because so many like so many artists are like I don't want to do this anymore and I'm like but you're so good the amount of like writers that I've been like your work is 
phenomenal. I A, don't understand why you're not being produced. And B, I can, I get it why you're quitting, but like, also don't quit. We need you, but nobody's supporting them. So mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> you know, what's also the thing that right now for me is like, this is so romanticized to Like you're saying, like, you don't need to be exhausted or traumatized or in pain, but it's also so ingrained as artists that we're like, you need to feel the pain. You need yeah. to go through it. And it's like, I, at one point I will say, I crave those long days which is maybe not a great thing. I relate to that though. There's something, there's something like a familiarity. Cause I know that that's the way that I, I am familiar with working. Like I know that close to production time, I am exhausted. I can't think of anything else. Part of my life is a mess, but the show it's happening and it's getting closer to happening. So I, I get that Monica, I think like. I oh, definitely. Like, I mean, there are lots of like parts, like I like had a great time in Stratford, not, all the time but like there's something about like the schedule and like the rigor like we all feel like you know there's like a sense of like I worked hard and like this is the thing and there's the outcome and like I like 100% understand that feeling and like I get it like I feel it too in, in a lot of ways and like I said like I think there are places for that like I think that there's there's a time and a place for that but I, I think that like a lot of our thought processes are thought processes that we've had ingrained in us or like mm -hmm. over the head so that, you know, some of the ways that we think and feel and like work in right now, we're so just like, yeah, we're used to, or we love because it's been what, what's been taught to us. It's been like sort of what brainwashed us into like thinking that this is okay. Um, but I think it's just like sifting through some of those behaviors or some of those things and being like, is this healthy though? Like we love a lot of things that aren't healthy. Yeah. Relationships. <laughs> like how many things do we love that aren't healthy? There's numerous things, right? So like, how do we break up with those things? You know, that's something really interesting because as, as actors or performers, we work with our bodies and our feelings and we keep putting them in jeopardized to do the same work. A hundred percent. It's wild. It's, it's wild. It's like, I, like when I was doing crack walker, I literally every night was spotting because my body believed that it was losing a baby every night because I couldn't like, I couldn't tell my body that it wasn't real. Like my body was like going through the thing. I knew I was fine. Like I was okay. But my body was like hyperventilating and like having a moment and being like, you killed my baby. Like I was going through it. And there was no way of convincing my body that that stress wasn't real. Like that stress that my body was feeling was real for my body. Yeah. Like as actors, as performers, it's really weird what we do. <laughs> totally. Totally. And we need to have techniques to like protect ourselves. But yeah. at a certain point, Techniques are amazing, but why don't we shift our systems too? Like we, we can, we can. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And not just for actors. Like you said, production people. Oh my God. Yeah. They deserve so much respect. <laughs> and they so they much work fun. so hard. Yeah, they really do. And, and so you perform in a, in a lot of places and you do a lot of stuff. And one of the things that we love, because we've seen you perform, is when you do uh, burlesque and you have this beautiful character called Sita Moon. Yeah. So how did you get into burlesque? How did she come to be? Oh, uh, so 
a friend of mine, Jordan Campbell, long, long time ago was like, you need to do amateur strip. And I was like, girl, no. But (laughs) so amateur strip judged by drag queens is like a a thing that was happening every month at the round venue in Kensington. Um, And it was like, you could go and like uh, perform, like you just signed up and you would show up and you would do the thing. Um, and like stripping was like any that you could get completely naked. You could get not naked at all. You could like, it was totally up to you. Um, and then they gave up prizes like at the end. Uh, and so there was a t- point in time where I was just feeling really, really bad about my body. Like I just was having a lot of like dysmorphia and like not feeling great. So my answer was let's go get naked in front of a bunch of people <laughs> because I-, I knew that like, I knew that no matter how I felt about it, everyone loves to see a fat bitch on stage loving herself. Everyone loves it. Like people go wild for that shit. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a place where my body is going to be celebrated because that's going to make me feel better. And that's what I did. So I, and, and it was, I realized when I got there that everybody was using a stage name. And I was like, I don't have a stage name. No way. And so, the theme of that first one was um, you've died and then you come back. What do you come back as? So I immediately was like a vampire, like obviously. So I bought like fangs and like had them in. So I was like, I need like, um, I need a good vampire name. And so Sita, there is this uh, series of books that when I was a kid, I started reading, I was like maybe 11 Uh, called The Last Vampire Series by Christopher Pike. And the vampire, lead character vampire in that, it was named Sita. Yeah, and she's named after the goddess Sita. So Sita is actually a Hindu goddess in Hindu uh, culture. And I had like a band named after her like in high school because I was like obsessed. So I was like, Sita is definitely the first name. The band that I had was Sita's son. And I'm like, well, if I'm a vampire gonna be moon and then it also played as like a pun in a way because it sounds like see the moon Moon oh yeah 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 yeah. my butt so there's there's some so I was like this is perfect I'm like see the moon is perfect so yeah I started doing that and then I was like I need to keep her as a vampire so every time I perform she's got the thing she's a vampire uh so she's a vampire stripper (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing yeah that's amazing and then I started getting booked so it was really funny like I started doing the amateur strip every month and then uh was being booked by other um like party producers so they would see and then they would be like I want to book you for like burlesque at the beaver or like lavender so it's been really great it happened so quickly and I was like uh, suddenly I'm doing, uh, suddenly I'm, I'm a burlesque performer. Again. Add that to your resume yeah. of, among yeah. the other talents. One last question that we love to ask because we are called Merendiando. Uh, what is your <laughs> pandemic snack? I mean, look, cake has been a running theme so far. Uh, I mean, I've always sort of had like a chocolate, I have, I have a, I have a chocolate problem. Um, but I've been making cakes not very well, uh, but I still eat them. So that's <laughs> that sounds like luxurious and delightful though. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. So yeah, I'm going to say cake. Okay, cake. Yeah, okay, cake. 
<laughs> awesome. Okay, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you You're for awesome. having me. You're awesome. This podcast is recorded in Toronto or Dagarondo, the territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the Wendat Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and nations recorded and unrecorded. We are deeply thankful to these nations for stewarding the land so that we might live in peace and respect for each other. As it is outlined in the Dish with One Spoon One Pop, that all people who live here, settlers, indigenous folks, and others, must adhere to. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with the support from the Metcalf Foundation, the Late Law Foundation, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. Aluna Theater is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. Radio Aluna Theater is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theater, visit us at alunatheater.ca. Follow at Aluna Theater on Twitter or Instagram or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts.